Hello and welcome to the Guildhall School Events Podcast. Today we're talking puppets, whales and blue fairies ahead of one of the Guildhall School's largest and most ambitious productions to date, composer Jonathan Dove and librettist Alistair Middleton's opera The Adventures of Pinocchio. I'm very pleased to be joined by director Martin Lloyd-Evans, associate designer Susanna Hendry, soprano Anna Gillingham from the Guildhall School's opera course and Sarah Sweet who's working on the costumes as a student on the Technical Theatre Arts programme. So welcome everybody. So Martin, everyone knows the story of Pinocchio, but what do you think makes it a compelling opera? Well, you say everyone knows the story of Pinocchio. I think everyone's contact with it is mainly through Disney, uh, which is, as most Disney stories, a, a relatively sanitised version of the real story. Um, and I suspect what people know about is a bit about Jiminy Cricket and a bit about noses growing, and that's yeah. sort of the end <laughs> of it. Um, the story itself is is a little bit harder, a little bit crueler than the one that, that, that Disney revealed to us. Um, uh, it's a little sort of bit closer to the Grimm's fairy tales in sort of, in sort of feel of it. Uh, and in terms of turning it into an opera, I mean, the real value about doing it operatically is there's all these different episodes. Pinocchio goes through these various story stages of life. And each one has a main character in each of those scenes. And the great thing about making an opera is that the music can give such a strong sense of character and sense of particular identity to each of those characters. So each one has such a, a compelling thing. I was talking to Jonathan Dove the other day, in fact, and he was saying, oh, it's a really ideas-hungry opera, this one. Okay. He said, use up lots of my ideas <laughs> because I needed to find something new for every individual scene. And there's something like 44 scenes or something wow. in the whole thing by the time the whole thing's put together. So I think, you know, the music gives us the sense of character. And the other great thing, of course, that the music can do is we can, it, it can tell us a little bit about the inner story. It can make the inner story more present to us than uh, perhaps happens if you just have the text. Um, that while the characters are playing one thing, the music can be telling the audience something else and giving us other deeper resonances in terms of what's going on. And I think both of those with this particular piece uh, combine to make a, a sort of a killer bit of modern opera. I mean, it's incredibly entertaining. You're never off the edge of your seat because yeah. it just keeps you going the whole time, um, which is a sort of fantastic mixture, as I say, of, of, of quality of character uh, and the excitement of, of you know, full-on operatic singing sure. and operatic orchestration. And the opera itself, I think it was originally premiered in 2007, so not very long ago, but this is the first student production of the opera. Why do you think that is, and how how did this particular production at the Guildhall School come about, first of all? Okay, for a conservatoire, it's a monster. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's a, it's a huge piece. In lots of ways, the vocal demands of the piece are enormous, the number of different characters and the scale of the singing that the piece demands, the size of the chorus, the amount of chorus action, uh, and then there's the technical aspect of it, that, as I said, something like 44, 45 different scenes. The chorus takes on many different characters, so it's simply in terms of wardrobe, the wardrobe requirements are enormous, absolutely enormous. So there's a huge technical challenge, there's a vocal challenge, orchestrally it's a very big orchestra. So all those three things, every area of putting on the production is um, sort of beyond what any conservatoire really ought to be able to achieve. Um, and I think every department has really sort of pushed the boat out, uh, pushed many boats out in fact to try to enable this <laughs> to happen. So I think that's why it hasn't been done yeah. in the student context. In terms of doing it here, the reason we've done it here is the all the operatic repertoire we choose is chosen around the singers we have. 
So Dominic Wheeler, the head of opera, when he's looking at the current uh, crop of singers that we have, we're looking for something that gives all of them an appropriate opportunity that's appropriate for them where they're at in terms of their vocal development. It's also part of a a sort of a line of DNA in the opera programming where we're very keen for the singers to have experience of working on modern pieces. Um, uh, There is, despite some... Reputation. There is quite a lot of modern opera that goes on now, uh, and for singers coming out somewhere like the Guildhall, they need to have a facility with working in modern pieces. Uh, what, how better to gain that than by being in one? So we were looking for pieces that fitted the singers vocally, um, and when we looked at this, we looked at it once before, and it was sort of like mm, too big, too big. Uh, and this time we thought, no, let's go for it. And, you know, we warned various other departments and said, look, this is going to be a bit of a monster. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> all hands on deck. All hands on deck, yeah. And, and people said, no, no, all right, go for it. So, you know, it's, been, it's, been, it's not been straightforward to get it up and running and we're not there yet. You know, we're about to start technical rehearsals this afternoon. But it's, um, you know, we're, we're, it's looking promising at the moment. Right, I don't want to count any chickens publicly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it would be a bad thing to do, yeah. Brilliant, thank you Martin. Anna, hello, can you tell us about the role you're singing and how you're approaching the part? I'm playing the Blue Fairy and perhaps it's easiest to start with what she's not. She's not a puppet, she's not an animal like a lot of the other characters in this piece. She's supernatural and she is the person that is trying to draw out of Pinocchio his soul and his identity. Throughout the piece, she offers times for him to reflect and change and grow. And in the first act, she's sort of like a sister to him and a friend. And as the piece progresses, she becomes more of a mother figure until the end when she can finally let him go and he has discovered who he is. Brilliant, thank you. um, Martin touched on this a little bit, but as a singer on the opera course, Anna, how important do you think it is to have experience performing in contemporary operas as well as operas that are part of the established canon? Like Martin said, there is a lot of modern opera out there and as young singers entering the profession, it's a really useful skill to be able to step into one of these pieces. Um, creatively, it's really exciting for us because we don't have this tradition of other people who've done these roles um, and recordings that audiences have sort of grown up with and loved. So we can really make the roles our own and um, also a lot of discipline is required uh, technically to to learn these new parts and so it's really useful for us as singers to be challenged in that way. Brilliant, thank you. Susanna, moving over to the design side of things, as associate designer for the opera, your role is to visually realise the production. You're working very closely with Dick Bird, who's the designer. Can you tell us about how the design process works and when, for this production, it started? Well, um, as you say, I'm, I'm sort of uh, standing in for, for Dick Bird in, uh, at this moment, just over the, um, the last week and this week as we go into staging the piece. But um, in general, the design process for a, a piece of opera, it starts... Um, it, in, in the the industry really it can be as many as much as a few years can't it yeah, before absolutely. something is staged but um, in this case it was a few months I guess it was between four and five months before anyone sets a, a toe in the rehearsal room or 
have a meeting about it and generally speaking you begin with the work whatever that is so if it's a drama you begin with the text if it's an opera you begin with the libretto and the music um, which is always um, hugely inspiring I always I always think it's it's a joy to, to have music as your starting point and you also begin with a really good conversation with the director yeah. generally and in that first conversation usually there is some sort of uh, theme or key starting point which is often brought by the director but uh, is also frequently just revealed by the music or, or the, the nature of the piece and you you tussle over that together and you sort of discover what the, 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 the key images you're going to start with will be um, and sometimes that can be about the configuration of the space, for example. Sometimes that can be a, an image on a postcard. It could be something very, um, very pictorial like that. And then uh, as a designer, your job is to go away, sort of filter all of that information and to become a bit of a magpie. So you begin a process of visual research where you try and gather as much information about that world that you've been discussing with the, the director as possible. Um, and you might do some historical research, it might include um, some research on fine art or history and you draw all of that stuff together and try to begin creating a visual picture of what it is you're working on together. And this involves a lot of meetings, doesn't it Martin? You, yeah. you have, you have Absolutely. Many, many meetings. creative I mean, meetings. Yeah. yeah, and sometimes it depends how quickly the piece falls out but it, 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 you know, it goes on. I mean Dick and I, for this, the first meeting we had I think was over a year before the rehearsal started, mm -hmm. the very first meeting, okay. and, it, and it goes on over a number of months. But it takes a long time because between the two of you, you need you, you're without wanting to sound too pious, you're sort of creating a world. Um, you know, this has to last for two or three hours. So uh, you know, you, it, it takes a lot of talking and getting things wrong and going up blind alleys, Absolutely. and then suddenly you can have a really good day when suddenly loads of things suddenly open up for you. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, yeah. And you, um, there is a point at which you, it goes from being quite a sort of a private world that you're trying to establish and lay down together, and you have to then start engaging with the, the production team. So you go from a process at, which is which is essentially quite private and it's about two people sort of discussing a world you then start to offer up versions of the design early ideas for the design to the production team and for, you undergo something that's called a white card meeting which yeah. essentially means uh, a model box which is in development so you give people a sense of your idea for the production and um, through a process of subsequent production meetings that might be chipped away at or refined or reinvestigated and then it's whittled away so that you, by the time you get to uh, the first day of rehearsal, the whole of the production team has, has engaged with the, the design process in some way, yeah. everyone feels clear about the project that they're undertaking together and, um, and, and that's when you, you show the, the performers as well and that's sort of when everything kicks off. So there's a, there are months if not you know, years of, of work happen before the actual rehearsal process. So I always think it's a curious job, the role of designer, because you begin work along with the director almost before anybody else and you also leave the production just as it begins, in inverted commas. So just as it opens, yeah. your job is done. So I think it's a curious a curious role. I mean, your job isn't done. You can always pop in, but if effectively that's your, that's your role completed. Sure. Yeah. And without giving too much away, mm -hmm. um, 
are you able to give us a flavour of the overarching aesthetic of the piece at all? Uh, or where you look to for inspiration or anything We can like probably that. do that between us. Martin, <laughs> would you like to attempt yeah. that? I mean, one th- just to pick up on something Susanna was saying, one of the things I always find interesting with working with different designers is, as a director, I tend to use words sort of is the my natural sort of metier yeah. and it's really interesting that some designers that work with use sketching and we use two-dimensional representations it's really interesting with with dick particularly he does things in three dimensions so we're having okay. a conversation and what he'll do is he won't necessarily talk a lot but he'll get a scalpel and some board and he'll just go <coughs> what about that oh wow oh, what about that so it's all the time it's working in three dimensions yeah. as, a, as a way of sort of developing things the key and the, the key thing, as Suzanne was saying, you tend to find a little, um, like a gateway idea or a sort of portal idea that leads you into the whole production. And the key thing, thing for us really was the, the original story Collodi wrote that's written in the late 19th century, the, the, the Adventures of Pinocchio, uh, was Victorian. It was written very much in the sort of the afterglow of the Industrial Revolution. And there's a whole. Um, school is a history of uh, Victorian uh, observer scientists which um, people like isn't by Kingdom Brunel or Faraday probably Faraday was a, bit, a little bit earlier but um, people of that sort and that just made us think there's a thing about watching this little soul Pinocchio go from something wooden to something flesh combined with the time of the writing the original that had this sense of an industrial Victorian sort of world not quite steampunk but we're not a million miles from steampunk so we've sort of gone down a world where the chorus are watching the whole time where there's a Victorian industrial feel to what's going on um, and that all the various things that happen to Pinocchio sort of draw on the, the, the sort of objects and the sort of feel that was around in the sort of late late 19th century. So that's the sort of world that we're okay. exploring in the piece. And Susanna, going back to you, um, I was lucky enough to have a very sneak peek into the Design Realisation Workshop last week and the opera has some really fantastic props and scenery. Um, again, without giving too much <coughs> away, what challenges has this production presented in terms of visual design? Are there any particular challenges with the scale of this production? Yeah, I think that, I mean, there are two, may, I mean, there are, there are many that come to <laughs> mind, but uh, the two key ones, I think, are firstly, so as Martin mentioned earlier on, the sheer number of, of specific scenes. I mean, Pinocchio goes through so many experiences, has so many sort of adventures, learns so many lessons, and most of those require a change of location and some sort of specific setting so there is a uh, I think there was a challenge within the development of this design to try to signal those changes of location but without filling the stage with scenery which which would not have been achievable so Martin and Dick have developed a sort of scenic shorthand for these changes of location so specific scenes represented by single objects and so I think there is a sort because it's such a large scale um, production potentially trying to make those 44 scenes achievable but to ensure that there's something visual something scenic supporting it is quite a big challenge I think and the other thing I was mindful of yesterday when um, I saw a run of um, of the production was that um, there are without giving very much away I think I can say that there are a few masks in this production and I was thinking about um, the challenges implicit in putting somebody who's singing and for whom song is their is their craft 
um, into uh, a mask. And so as we enter the, we're entering the sort of technical process now, I think one of the challenges will be trying to balance the, the, the needs for costume and masking people who are various creatures and, and characters, but ensuring that they can still be heard and that they are comfortable and kind of confident in those, um, those mask pieces. So it's a sort of uh, a practical consideration, really. Absolutely, thank you. Um, Sarah, you're a student on the Technical Theatre Stage and Costume Management Pathway and you're working on some of the many costumes that are needed for this production. I think we've got puppets, foxes, parrots, pigeons, a big green fisherman. Do you have a favourite and have you needed longer to prepare for this than for previous Guildhall School productions? Um, I definitely have to say my favourites, um, probably the cat and the fox. Okay. Um, they're a really interesting couple of characters and the way we've costumed them they're very much coming across as kind of gentleman ruffians. Brilliant. So they're, they're sort of trying to trick Pinocchio out of his money, but they're, they're doing it with a lot of class. Um, <laughs> so they're, they're something to watch out for. The Blue Fairy as well is a lovely costume. Really lovely. Um, <clears throat> we haven't had any longer to prepare for this than any other opera. So we've had to really dive straight in. Um, we didn't have much sort of standing around time yeah so every every moment's been used um, but we're on track and everything's going very well so far really and do you know do you have a rough idea of how many costumes there are for this production because it sounds massive <laughs> um, I have to say I haven't counted yet. I think it would be a bit terrifying <laughs> fair enough fair enough and where have you looked to for any sort of research or inspiration while you're working on the costumes um, well we were lucky enough to um, have Dick Bird as a designer who gave us very very specific designs so we didn't actually have to pad out um, them with research much at all. So okay. we were able to go straight to hire houses, start looking for specific costumes, which was a, a big help because it saved us a lot of time. Um, but uh, yeah, we've been researching generally around the um, Victorian age and lots of trips to Camden, if that's much of a hint, Ooh. to uh, check out some of the more interesting <laughs> modes of dress. There. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. Brilliant, thank you. Well, thank you everyone for speaking to me today. The Adventures of Pinocchio runs in the Silk Street Theatre on the 4th, the 6th, the 8th and the 10th of March. It's currently sold out, but keep an eye on the Guildhall School's website and Twitter feed for news of any return tickets. Many thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks.